And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You're listening to The Leaf Report. Follow the guys on Twitter at Jonas Siegel and at Myrtle. All right, James, we're back with a long overdue edition of The Leaf Report podcast. What's it been, two weeks? By Bab Sox. Yeah, it, no, it's probably been longer. That's not good. We're getting so many complaints. Twitter, I every day, so. every day I get complaints. So you're not doing a podcast anymore? We don't know what to do. So but I, I, w- I was on vacation. Uh, the Leafs played in Vancouver, and I went home to Camels for three days. So you can blame me for taking three days off in the middle of the season, which isn't allowed. No, that's fine. <laughs> uh, okay, so let's get right into it. How was the road trip? Tell me. Oh, you got your Bab Sox on. White ones. I haven't seen those ones. Yeah, whites kind of. It's like the road, the road whites. It's for you going on the road trip. Uh, the road trip was. It was interesting. Um, there was obviously Matthews had a really bad cold or whatever it was, and then Bozak got sick, so they had centers that were banged up a little bit. I thought they played excellent in Calgary. Uh, okay in Edmonton, it was a kind of a crazy, entertaining game, and then Vancouver was a really boring game where brutal in the first period and then outstanding or in the second two periods so you know i'd give them the road trip probably they went two and one i'd give them like a seven out of ten seven and a half out of ten anderson has continued to be awesome even coming back and playing that game against calgary last night he's been their mvp over the last half of of the season they played so far and their record is really really good right now Okay, there's there's a lot to unpack there. We're going to talk about Anderson. But the weird thing about their record is, like, if you looked at their year and you said, like, how have they played? If you didn't know anything about their record, you'd be like, they've been okay. And yet, I think you pointed out last night, they're on pace for, like, 105 points. Right. What do you make of that? Like, because you look at, if you, even if you go through, like, lists of individuals and you look at each guy, I don't know how many you'd say are, like, having really great seasons. Defensively, they've had some issues. Special teams have dropped off from last year. You know what like, it is? I don't know what it They've is. They've won a lot of games where they haven't played that well. So what They've is won that? a lot of games where they haven't 
Uh, do you buy like I sort of some buy of it Babcock. could be talent like they do. well that's Babcock's thing like a good team wins when it's not supposed to yeah but you don't want to like look bad so many times and win I mean it's good that they have the high talent level but I I, I went on the trip I asked Zach Hyman I said you guys just haven't looked the way you did over the last 20-25 games last season you haven't looked the way you did uh, against Washington in the playoffs you don't look like a cohesive team do you know why that is and he just said, you know, it's a long season. We're still figuring it out. and But they felt that game in Calgary was – that was it. Like, that's what they – that like, if they could look like that more often and be that well-organized defensively, they would legitimately win a lot of games. The concern is that if Anderson's not a 950 goalie right now, their record's much worse than – like, if he was only, like, 920 – they probably lost a bunch of these recent games. Mm-hmm. And then the conversation around the team is a lot different than it is. So now they're going on this road trip, I think at 9 of 11 on the road. Most of December, they're gone. Only two more road game, or home games in December. Right. So it's interesting. The team's kind of trying to turn that into a positive and talking about it that we'll get most of our road games out of the way in the first half of the season. I'm happy about it, sort of. Well, we'll get a break. <laughs> we'll get a break from traveling. Yeah. And then the playoffs will be the playoffs is a lot of work. But I thought you made like you wrote about it for the athletic and I thought it was like a good way to look at it that that Calgary game is like the optimal if they play like this they're they're going to be a top 5 team like they're legit cup contender. Yep. How many games like that have we seen this year? Less than 5. Yeah, Maybe I was going to say three. like 3 or 4. Like yeah. Chicago. And even Chicago they didn't start well. They didn't start well. Um, they had the one against LA they won that was good. Yeah. 3-1 I think they won. 3-2 I think. Two nothing over Washington was a pretty good game. Yeah, it's like these low event games that are yeah. kind of dull. Well, that's what Babcock. That's what Babcock's trying to do, right? Like, yeah, it's fun. It's like trying to put like this. It's trying to put a raccoon in a box or something. Like, it's this is a team that maybe doesn't want to play that way. Well, I guess because you have a lot of. But don't you think that at the end of last season and in the playoffs yes. against Washington, they yes. had it. They were there. They yeah, were... you pointed that out in your story. Like in down the stretch and into the playoffs, they look like that in the Calgary They look game. like a good team. Like, like in the playoffs, they look like that. Their record, I think it was from December 1st to November 1st on last year, was a top 10 team. And that's kind of what they look like by the Even from like January 1st on, I thought that the Centennial Classic was a turning point. Yes, Austin, for sure. Austin Matthews really... But you know what's weird? Like you look at them offensively even and you, you look at it from like everything you've seen you'd be like they've been okay no they're like third in the league in offense right it's like they can just score five or six real easy like that carolina game i was at yeah um, last month they played horribly yeah and what was the score? 48 shots against yeah 48 shots and i think they scored by five four, goals by right four, yeah. so like it's like they can just score so easy that they can kind of overcome their problems. I think what we talked about with the heat maps and that stuff, how a lot yeah. of the shots are coming in tight is part of it. I mean, they make goalies look bad quite often. Well, it was interesting if you looked at, like, the heat map for the Calgary game, the most recent one. Calgary had, like, a lot of attempts, and they won the possession battle. But if you looked at where they were shooting, it was like there was all this heat from the points. And then yep. you looked at Toronto's, and there was, like, nothing. And it was all, like, right in tight. Yep. So. It's interesting that the players say they're not trying to do that. I don't buy that. I know. I'm sure it's like strategy of how they're being coached. Yeah. I kind of think that the D are saying that they're not being told not to shoot. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure what to make of it. They're saying that the strategy is to get the puck into the, that slot and get the rebound. So like to shoot it into there. 
Riley said it's hard. You can't just like try and skate into that spot. Like you can't just try and like right. skate into where around the net because like the teams are gonna just pack it and not let you in there. Well, but you don't see like I, I'm thinking back to like the Kessel era. You don't see many someone's coming down the wing and firing a shot from thirty feet. Right. You don't see that ever with this team. Right. Anymore. So and they're coming in and like setting up and like trying to get it to where. Yeah. So if it's a shot from the point, it's like you have a lane that is going to get it in there. Well, I got to feel like, you you know, like the influence the some of the analytics stuff would have. Yes. They have to be, like Babcock has been made aware that like if you shoot more, I mean, like that's well, not analytics, that's just common You know sense. what I've always thought is really interesting is that like the shooting percentage for a defenseman is way lower than a forward. So shouldn't you just tell your, like, shouldn't your forwards take most of the shots? Yes. Well, look at their power play. Right. Do you ever, like, you, I know Riley had the goal and Gardner's had a couple, but, like, generally it's just their forward shooting. And, like, I didn't look at the that. numbers if, like, the Leafs are generating a lot more shots from forwards than D. I didn't look at that. I looked at shooting percentage for, and the shooting percentage for Leafs defensemen was crazy high. It was, like, more than double the league average. That could be random. Or it could be, we've seen Zaitsev, for example, get the puck and come in tight before he shoots quite often. But I don't know that. Like I talked to most of the defensemen when I did that story about the shot distance stuff, yeah. and they said that they're not being told to do that. So it really does seem like, like you said, that maybe they've pulled out the outside shots. JVR was like when I told him that that they were first in shot distance. Where he's like, yeah, okay. he's like, I, he he basically said he likes that stuff better than Corsi. He thinks that that's like more like reflective of what you you are trying to do in a hockey game. What's interesting when you mention that is it makes me think of what, what's happened in basketball the last little while where basically teams have just eliminated mid-range shots and just said there's like statistically it does not make sense for us to take these you're mid-range shots. You're under the shots. hoop or you're a three-pointer. Yes. And the thing in the NHL, there's no three-point shot. Right, so. but your, your best chance of scoring is in close. So why are you firing all these shots from the outside? I was surprised I did that story. It didn't like get more traction. Like More people weren't talking about it because I haven't seen anyone really talk about that strategically the hard thing is that you can't get the coach like opening up that that's yes you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. there's also but i think that that's one of the stories of their season is that if they can elevate shooting percentage which is a controversial idea you know some people in in analytics think you can't really elevate your shooting percentage over a, a sustained period of time you know, if if the Leafs would have been doing what they're doing right now three or four years ago, people would have been saying, "Well, they're going to rest, they're going to regress, they're going to regress, their shooting percentage is going to come down," and it is coming down. It yeah. has come down a little bit, but it's still quite high. Like even in November, it's still quite high. Well, but the other part of it is the quality of the shooters. Like it's one thing, yeah. If you have all these really good shooters who are shooting in tight, they're they're bound to score more. Like this was what Van Riemsdyk. I don't know what we were talking about, but he's like, if you and Austin Matthews go in on ten breakaways. Who do you think is going to score more? Right. And his point was, like, the, the person shooting, I think, is is important, But there's too. no team with, like, 12 great shooters. But how many do they have? Like, Kadri's a pretty good shooter. Van Riemsdyk's a good shooter. Matthews, Nylander, all really good shooters. Actually, the other story I did on the road trip that I thought was interesting was looking at whose shooting percentage is going to progress on the team and yeah. looking at who was taking the shots. And there were, I think, five Leafs that are taking more than 50% of the shots on the team. And they're all good shooters. It was Matthews, Kadri, JVR, Nylander, uh, I forget. 
Is it possible Riley Kadri's, was one of them. Is it possible Kadri is just now a high efficiency shooter? Like aside from that that 2015-16 year where he shot like 7% or something and he had 17 goals. Remember he had all the well, million chances. Well, I know chances? Babcock talked about working on his shot a lot. Well, and they position where the story to talk to Kadri and say like your shooting percentage is way higher like Well, it's partly like where he's positioned on the power play that helps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's He's just there to go bang in the junk. He's good at it. Yeah. It's really interesting that they, like, I, I should figure out what changed that they moved him there. Because they used to have Bozak in that spot and Kadri in Bozak's spot. And ever since they switched it. Like, the, way back when? Like, yeah, not even that long ago. Like, it was only last year that they made that switch. Uh-huh. Where they moved Kadri to the middle. It kind of makes sense that. Well, because Kadri's a better shooter. Well, Bozak's and, not, like, a super aggressive, in-traffic right. kind of player. Yeah. And Bozak's really good, like on that like kind of outer spot. He's got he's like makes good little passes. He's had an interesting year. He's only on pace for like thirty four points or something, right? It's, I think it's less. I haven't checked. If it. if the Leafs don't sign him and he goes to UFA, do you think there's going to be a lot of teams that want him? That's a great question. Like what? Like is, what is he? He's making four two five. Like is he going to be able to? Like I wonder, or four point two or whatever it is. Is he going to be able to get that again? Like, I wonder if I there's a scenario so. where he comes back to the Leafs for less money. But do you want him as your third center? I would rather get an upgrade, center? but who is it going to be? Well, that's what we're going to talk. 32 so he, points. He's on pace for 32. Yeah, it was 33 before last night, I think. Actually, we're going to talk about that. But let's start. Actually, we haven't started. Well, we've What's already started. Rec- you've got a receipt that you yeah, wrote Yeah, I, d- I wrote, wrote some on. topics while I was driving over. Oh, you went to 7-Eleven? No, actually, my girlfriend bought gas there. Oh, Anything else you want to point out about thirty-three point six liters? That's all you can fit in your car. It's a little car. Okay. Um, <laughs> well, I don't know. You got like our show topics written on this receipt. Well, because it was in my head, and I figured I'll forget. I always have to write everything down. So Matthews, after the injury, is written here. Um, he doesn't look quite the same. It's been a long time, if you think about it, that he's been not himself. Yes. Because it was remember that St. Louis game, he wasn't very good. The California yes. trip, he wasn't 100. percent That's over a month ago. Yeah, geez. So this season's only been 29 games. He, he just missed doesn't four. look as sharp. He's not dominating, right? Like last no, year, and like he's making weird plays with the yeah. puck and like well, he said it was stuff. He said it was hurting his stick handling, right? Yeah, which what, it's his uh, it's his back. It has to be. It's like a. And that's kind of scary because those can be chronic. Those well, can, Mario Lemieux look at, is look like at Dorsett. That. Look at Horton, Nathan Horton. There have been guys that have had their careers really. Mario Lemieux is a big one, yeah. He wouldn't be playing, though, if it was Woody. I can't imagine they'd be playing him if this was. Well, obviously something's bothering him. He was pretty Maybe sick, Maybe it's just too. hard to miss some time. He was pretty sick, too. Like, you could tell on the trip that he couldn't breathe out of his nose. Like, he, he sounded... Well, we, we have to remember, too, like, Calgary is altitude, isn't it? It was really cold there and dry. and I think it's hard. I just think it's really hard to miss time. Like, I think we always underestimate that, like, getting back. And he was playing at just, like, this ridiculous level before. Getting back to that level has got to be hard. Yeah. And it's also... It's got to be one of the focuses of their season now that they've built up this record is just getting him to where he's the dominant player and... I wonder if that's part of why he's only playing 18 minutes a game. I thought Vancouver, like, they needed that gold. They need two goals to come back, and his minutes didn't end up being that high. I wrote something about this because I think it's really interesting. 
it's kind of like counter to what a coach usually does, and especially a coach like Babcock. Like, usually coaches are all about, like, and he's even like this, where it's just like, I'm really just trying to win the game. Like, that's all I care about is tonight's game. It's almost like he's taking this big picture view of, like, what I need to actually not just win a game tonight, but maybe win a cup or maybe win a couple right. rounds. And if I can save, like, I thought it was crazy how much it adds up. Like, you don't think about it, but, like, comparing it to McDavid, if you're playing three minutes less per night than McDavid, that adds up to, like, almost 300 minutes over, like, an 80-game season. Right. That's a lot. Like, that's, like, 15, 14 extra games of playing 20 minutes. We always talk about the Leafs' depth in terms of its ability to produce offense, and if someone gets hurt, they can step up and whatever. But what if the true value of their depth is that you can just not play your big guys that much Mm -hmm. for a whole season? Yeah, and you can, like, play Van Riemsdyk 15 minutes where he's not overexposed. Because, you know, when I... Everyone that talked about Austin Matthews in college and in Switzerland and everywhere he had been before, it was always like, this is a guy you can play like 24 minutes a night. This is a guy like, and I was kind of picturing like this, like Kovalchuk, like tons of shots on goal, play all situations, tons of minutes. And that's not really like, he's their ice time leader, but not every game and not. But do you want to play him 20, like. In the play- I don't know. In the playoffs, sure, that's fine. Like, but but you- then you think like with how condensed the schedule is and everything that maybe nobody should play more than and it's, he's done. That's, that's this has literally happened in the NBA where the Spurs like were out in front of everyone where they're like we're not going to play Tim Duncan more than thirty three minutes. We're worried about the playoffs. Like we think all that adds up on his body. And whereas normally he would have played other teams like play like they're playing Ball LeBron game. like 38 minutes a game like 5 minutes a game 6 minutes a game it doesn't seem like a lot but like add that up over a season i wonder if jeremy Bettle can measure that with his little computer I'm 100% program sure. yeah some of the stuff that they're doing like in in researching this looks that like story, you're saving riley too right he's only getting like 21 minutes nobody's playing like the only guy like zaitsev i think is number 1 gardner 2 they have 4D that are between 22 and 23 minutes, which yeah. is really weird. Well, and they basically train those minutes very specifically. Like, Riley and Hainsey are only playing against top lines, basically. Like, I bet the Leafs... Yeah, right. So they play less, but they get the harder minutes. Yes. Which is... is I, I don't think I've seen that before. It's just, like, very strategic usage. Same thing with Kadri. Like, Kadri line playing, like, 16 minutes a game only basically against the other team's top line. Although, but and then if you think about it, it's like, that kind of makes sense. Well, it's just smart. Like, it, it's to your point. Like, when you have good, more good players, you don't need to, like, push anyone too far. You know what I mean? It's almost like a computer or a robot is, is figuring this out and deciding how to... Probably. <laughs> it's like going... Yeah, it's like going against, like, what you would intuitively... What, the way it's always been done. If it works. If it works. I'm sure there's all kinds of influence from analytics and sports science and all this stuff i just think they can do so much more than we think they can that we don't know about. oh yeah that's what like from talking to some of like jeremy Bettle's old colleagues the stuff he's probably doing yeah i don't think we have an understanding i wish you and i could go to sloan this year because the one year i went there and i went to only like i probably went to like 30 percent of the panels because i was i was on one of them so i was busy and i had to write stories but the ones I went to for other sports, it was like, holy shit. Like, that catapult stuff the Leafs are using now was, I'm sure I've talked about this before, they, they had an NFL panel with how they're using catapult to, like, find injuries ahead of time and stuff. And, like, the stuff they were doing was just, like, ridiculous. It was ridiculous. Well, I'm trying to remember what exactly it was. So the 
the guy Jeremy Bettel worked with at this place called P3, which is like this really... Was a Harvard guy? Was Elliot? a Harvard guy. He told me while Bettel was there, he was working on his thesis for, I guess, his master's. And it was just like this thing about like how... I can't even explain it, but it was just like how force interacts with like... I don't, I don't. I have it in my notes somewhere, but basically it was beyond anything I would comprehend and just made me think that he is doing stuff that I don't think we get. That strength trainer position has gone from like former minor league yes. plug guy like who knows how to lift weights to like a PhD guy. Oh, it's so important. Like if you can like... Th- th- I, I thought it was really interesting in your story. People should all read that Jeremy Bettle story like... If you haven't signed up for The Athletic, message me on Twitter. I will give you a discount. Read the Jeremy Bettle story. It's one of the best stories we've had in the last month. And it's just about... It's just... He's probably one of the smartest people in the whole organization. Yes. And what I was going to say is the part I really liked in the story that really stood out to me was how the players really like working with him. And some of the smarter players like James Van Riemsdyk are like sending him emails and like learning from him. So they're learning about how bodies function and how to improve their that that stuff reminds me of covering the olympics when i covered the olympics and talking to the athletes and the millions of dollars in funding they get a lot of it goes into that because Mm -hmm. you're not paying the athletes so you're you're paying to make the athletes perform at their peak it's optimization yeah the olympics has a lot of that well and i think when players can see it making a difference like i think there's there's a lot i didn't get into in the story um, like about sleep and like about nutrition. And one of the things Bettle talked about on this podcast that he did was when he got to the Brooklyn Nets, it, it was about like convincing like NBA players that this will make a difference. Like if you eat better, like it's going to have an, an impact. And then players eat better and they're like, oh my God, it has an impact. They probably talked to that guy and like, here's this like brilliant guy who's like trying to make me the best I can. Yeah. It'd be so awesome if we could quantify the impact of someone like that. And the other thing that I thought was interesting in your story is you laid out all the members of the team. Like, he's he's built this staff. They're all people. They're all his people. Yeah. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, what do I got here? Oh, Anderson. Let's talk about Freddie Anderson. Um, it's kind of like last year's replaying a little bit. Yeah. Do you feel that way? Well, we'll see. I mean, I'll preface this by saying I asked Anderson, I haven't used this quote. I asked Anderson if he thought he was playing better this year than he had last year because before the game against Calgary, his splits were exactly the same as last year. Even strength was the same, power play was the same, overall was the same, basically. You mean compared to the whole season? Yeah. Yeah. Um, And he said he thinks he's played way better, which I thought was interesting. Do you think he has? I think lately this is the best he's ever been. Yeah. I think when he's at his best, he looks, he reminds me a little bit of, I'm not a goalie guy, but he reminds me a bit of Carey Price. Just very, very quiet and calm. That's the word I like, yeah. Quiet and calm in the net. And he's so big. He's a big, big man. I've said this before in the podcast. He's like you with like, he, but thicker. He's so wide. Yeah. You know what? The, he's not, he's not wide, like depth wise, if that makes sense. Like he's. He's almost like the perfect goalie. You know those like cardboard cutout goalies that they have? He's like that. Like he's really... Well, because his broad shoulders. He's really, really long across his shoulders and then not really the other way. So he like takes up so much net. Well, one of the interesting things with him, um, and you've pointed this out to me, is he used to be really big. I think he was 258 pounds in one of his draft years. Yeah. He was listed at that. Because I remember when... I think I was still running... 
I think I was running my blog. And I remember pointing out, like, this is the heaviest goalie I've ever seen in my life. He was, like, weighed like what Bufflin did. Well, I was talking to him about it, and I'm like, you used to be, like, 240. And he's like, nah, like, 255. I, and he I'm, just didn't eat well. Like, what he told me is, like, coming up, he was always just really talented, and it didn't matter that he was big. But his frame is so massive, he could carry that and probably not look that fat. Like, what's he at now? No, 220? Yeah, uh, 230. If you look at his picture from what before, he you can tell, like, he was bigger. But he's 230, and he's, like... That's like trim for him. Sure. Well, some people are just have like a massive. Well, is he six five? Is he six five? Six four, I think. So makes sense that he'd be that big. It's funny the goalies now are the biggest guys on the team. Yeah. <laughs> Matt Martin maybe might be bigger than him. Polak maybe like heavier. But I think Anderson has the biggest frame on the whole team. He's like he would fill a whole doorway. Like he's just a. Do you know what the other thing is? I think his disposition is good for this market. He's like the most like he's he can be almost dull in oh, that yeah. he's just like very he's low very quiet key yeah. and like I don't know like I thought one of the interesting things he told me is like he had to kind of figure out this market and he's almost perfect for this market in that he doesn't really kind of freak out when things are bad or really get that high when things are good does that do you know what I mean like I sometimes think we overrate that stuff but for a goalie I would think it's like really important like Jonathan Bernier even James Reimer to agree. Well, less with him. But Bernier seemed to struggle with some of like the mental Toscala. Toscala. Gustafson. Yeah. Some of those guys when it started to go. It's wrong. a really hard position. Like and I'm yeah. sure it's really easy to get in your head, especially here. Well, part of it is that they have to talk to us every day. I I know people don't like to some people make too much of that we're the problem and, and it's not that we're negative we're just like trying to figure it out all the time so well, it's kind of like yeah. what happened on that goal what happened on that goal what like well, how come how come these three games weren't as good as those three games how come like it's just like it's just like volume and it's of- the only position that that someone gets asked that like james reimer and i still joke that the question he used to get asked about that, that both of us just thought was so stupid is grade your performance tonight mm-hmm. and he'd be like like what do you want me to say it's not like we go to Morgan Riley after a game and be like, grade your performance. Like, what were you doing? There's too many plays. Well, and I think, too, that most people in the media weren't goalies. And our knowledge Coaches, of... Coaches, same thing. They don't know what's going right. on. I don't know what... Like, well, don't you remember Ron Wilson used to, like, yeah. say, like... What did he say? Like, like he would, like, try and evaluate the goalie. And then it was... They, like, it's, a lot of old-school coaches don't know anything about the goalie he's just there for like practice like to take shots and practice like they like they literally don't know how to i can't remember what ron wilson's comment was but it's like they don't actually know the fundamentals of goaltending and they should probably learn like they should probably learn babcock i don't i'm not going to say he's he's never done this but i'm just this is just an example he should sit down with briere and learn how to be a goalie coach for like three weeks, or I mean, I think well, especially if we he's should gonna, we should learn more about goaltending. Sure. I mean, I've tried. Well, especially if he's going to push goalies to play a certain way, and and from what I've gathered from Anderson, that was a problem last year. Like Babcock wanted him to play more aggressively, and eventually, like I th- I'm pretty sure that they just stopped doing that because it was hurting him because like it was changing the way he played. Hmm. So. That's happened before. People said that's what happened to Eddie Lack in Carolina as they tried to change his style and like his career has is like in the toilet now. I think he's in the minors right now. Hmm. Like maybe Well, and the one thing that they have, and like this is goes back to like the battle thing, they have all these different goalie coaches. Like it's <laughs> not just Steve Briere, they have like Jacques Caron who like Pierre coached, Greco. Pierre Gre- like they have all these different guys. Like they maximize like 
they're it's not just cap like they are spending on all these different things to make themselves i was gonna say with the sports science how much so they got like four staff or whatever like how much more do you think they're spending on that than they were under like burke they weren't doing any like what were they doing I don't know. They had a strength coach. Like they had like Anthony Belza. They had uh, Matt Nickel before that. I don't know. And I can't like I can't say I blame them. Like how like this is, the technology is just moving so fast, and they probably didn't think that you needed this stuff. So at least they're probably spending like four or five hundred grand or something crazy on something that. Probably. But that's a lot cheaper than signing another player or making or them, risking he, someone getting hurt. Yeah. Well, it's if you can keep Matthews healthy and he's going to be eleven or twelve million dollar player after next season. Well, and that's how you have to think of it. Like it's like you're paying. That's what the NFL does. That's what that Marcus Elliott from P three was pointing out. He's like before these teams used to like just play with forget the, the line he used, but basically it's like they were playing with closed hands, and now it's like they actually get to see their cards and like can play their hand with cards. You didn't use that in the story. I did. I just oh. can't remember the line. <laughs> But it's right. Like these are commodities. Like, and if you're not actually like trying to maximize them, then you're foolish. I've talked to some of the people high up at that catapult that does the technology for the biometrics, and and obviously seen the presentation at Sloan and whatever. And the way they sell it to teams is that if you can prevent one like half season injury, like if it's for like an NFL running back, like what's an NFL running back make? Fifteen million? Twenty? Like I don't if, know what they make. If well, their caps yeah. like way higher than than. So if you can prevent an NFL running back miss two games of the 18, it's worth like a million bucks. And the right. catapult system to, to use it, I think it's only 500,000. Hmm. Or maybe it's like, actually, I think it's less than that. So like to have that system, and then you got to pay a staff to do it. And But let me ask you this. Do you think they're playing Anderson too much? Yes. So well, I wonder what they should do is... It, well, let me tell you the numbers quickly. So Anderson, McElhinney is going to play four times in December, assuming everything is fine, and then six times the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that seem like a lot like for Anderson? I wonder if they much? try and like build up a bit of a lead and then they can give Anderson a break in the last month. I don't see that happening. Yeah, it's so hard it just to do now like, in the NHL. And it just goes against Mike Babcock. So the Leafs that. last year had 18 back-to-backs... Which would have meant that Anderson would have played 64 games. He played more than that, he? Didn't played he played 66, I believe. Right. So this year they only have 14 back-to-backs, which means he would play 68, which I think is too many games. Talbot played, I think, 70 last year. And but Talbot has had a, had a really hard time this year, yeah. It's well, hard, like, and, and there's a risk of him getting hurt. And like We've talked about how important he is. If he gets hurt, and I know Garrett Sparks has had a really good year, but like you don't know. They need. We always talk about yeah. this, but they need a backup that plays 25 games. If it's Sparks or Pickard or whoever it is. Well, I would imagine it's one of those guys next year. Yeah. Wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, it's not like Sparks is that young anymore. It's time 24? To, I think so, yeah. He might be 23 until the spring. Okay, a couple quick things and then we'll get out of here. Um, I have more than that. But. It's been 30 minutes so far. What do you think of when we got like a hint of this potentially happening when Bozak was, wasn't going to play? But what do you think of the idea... And we've talked about it a bit before, but do you think Neilander is still going to play center this year, or do you think that that's like a next year? Yeah, it doesn't look like this year, does it? Babcock doesn't trust Neilander right now. That's what I think. His even his comments after the game last night about there he still got some. He's a, he said he's a great player, a good skater, whatever. 
he needs the details in his game. And he's not doing that with Marner. He's not doing that with Matthews. He's not doing that. Almost reminds me of what coaches were saying about Kadri in the beginning. Or yeah, similar. He's like a project a little bit. For yeah, but I think it's part of it is that no one has ever pushed Nylander to work on that stuff a little bit with the Marlies when he was down there. I know that they put him at center when he played that that half season or whatever it was. I remember watching him in the playoffs with the Marlies. And he would make mistakes as a center, and they would lose games because of it. So He told me, though, that he was never having to play defense that much with the Marlies, so it didn't matter as much. Well, he was, so he was just so much better. He was right? so good. So he's going to have the puck the whole time. Here it's harder. But it just I just think it really makes them really interesting. I keep using really. It makes them interesting as a, a lineup when he's at center as a third center. Like, they're well, just all so that line hard was to match up JVR, with. Nylander, Marner. It's how, like, how do you, what do you cow. do? And then you can shelter that line? Yeah, what do you do? Like, you're going to be using your top guy against Matthews, obviously. And then, like, Kadri's on another line. Like, it's I almost just wonder really if they should use a different lineup at home than on the road. Because when you have the, yes. when you can get your actual matchups, that line makes a lot of sense. You could just, like, just decimate third and fourth lines and third D pairs and stuff. Like, just throw those guys out there and they can go. That was exactly my thought when they I can saw fun they zone around. do it. But uh, they didn't. They didn't actually play that line. No, right? because Bozak was playing. Okay. But that was my point. Like that was literally my lead of. The, uh, but on the story road, that line could get in trouble. And that's the thing. And that's why he likes. He's liked using Marlowe at center in situations where they need an extra guy. I almost wonder if it makes sense. We're talking about like computerizing your lineup and all this crap. If it makes sense to have a completely different lineup on home and on the road. Like if a team gets to the point where you have three scratches that play only road games or. It's like you have this goalie, the backup that plays the back to the back to backs, and then you have these defensemen that play the road games, and then. Well, so this I wrote about this today, and we're recording this on Thursday for the Athletic, just about whether they should increase the competition for Matthews. And the most interesting thing I found was his splits are basically the same at home and on the road. And obviously on the road, he's getting all top lines; like mm-hmm. he's just getting the hardest competition. Kadri mm-hmm. gets dinged a lot more at home than he does on the road where he's not getting top lines. So you wonder like if they should change how they're using Matthews. I don't know. Like that's just that 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 was what I came away with the Calgary game thinking like does it make sense to play him against everyone's best because he's that good? Although it didn't work out very good in that game. No. I think the counterpoint to that is that by giving Matthews I haven't read your story yet, so I don't know if I'm I don't know if I'm popping the balloon of what your point was but like the counterpoint to that is do you hurt matthew's offense a lot by making him okay and i handle do you want to know the stats guess Uh, who led the nhl in road goals last year uh roman polak (laughs) so matthews was actually like more productive on the road than he was at home he was like a point a game on the road. Right. Which is like fascinating. And his splits this year are pretty even, right? No, his splits. Yeah, they're close, but again, they're favoring the road. Okay. I, it just makes what he does even more impressive, like because he's getting even harder matchups on the road, and yet he's performing more. Yeah. I don't know. I thought that was. Do you know what's really. Do you know what's shit? Is you can't look up on the NHL website the road. Like, I wanted to see where his 24 road goals for a rookie ranked. The NHL doesn't let you sort it by road goals. Like, I know. You can't find it. And yeah. Hockey Reference doesn't have it. So that would have been a like, story. There's like basic stats like that that you can't look at that are just, it's insane. Why I don't the, the one thing I, I, wanted to, I wanted to look up this 11-game stretch that Anderson has had, save percentage-wise, how does that rank 
uh, for Leafs goalies all time. Like, how many goalies have had a better run than that? You can't do that. Like, there's no way to do You no. can't look up a streak like that. You can't. Like, you should be able to go best 10 games by a Leafs defenseman point production ever. Yeah, it should be very easy. Well, the databases, they, they can do it. Like, it, they just, we don't, I don't know, they don't give you that ability to, that computing power. Someone like Dello could do it. Yeah. Someone, some people listening could probably do it. So someone, if you're out there, uh, where does this, he's got a 9.53 save percentage over 11 games. Where does that 11-game stretch rank for a Leafs goalie? I'd be interested to know what the best run that Reimer had and Bernier had. He had one really good Belfour run. Belfour had some like unbelievable yeah. stretches. Reimer? Yeah. Yeah, Reimer had some where he was. That that one half season he when played. When he came up, yeah. No, no, no. Yeah, that too. But that half season. Oh, is, you mean 2012, 13? Yeah, that is the all-time high for a Leaf starter in save percentage for a season. 924 is Asterisk. what he did. Yeah, well, yeah. He's, yeah. Because it wasn't a full year, but yeah. it's just funny they replaced him after that. They thought he was the problem. <laughs> he was that the was best. Legitimate. I was just looking at what because Anderson's at nine twenty two right now, so he's close to the best save percentage mark ever in franchise history. Isn't it crazy that if you watch that playoff series, you would come away thinking that he was your problem? Well, there were the game That's five crazy. and game six. He, he was, was insane. Yeah, he was so good. Okay, quick question for you. Bernier was the answer. Yes, that didn't work. Um, Where are Dave Nonis' critics now? Do you think it's time for them to drop Leo Komarov in their lineup? Like, yeah. When do you get to that point? I think so, yeah. Yeah, I do too. I don't think they're going to do it yet, though. Although, we're, like, we see Mike Babcock do it at times when they need a goal, but otherwise, I think he's It's kind of crazy if you think about it that two years ago, Leo Komarov put up, like, a whole crap ton of points and went to the All-Star game, and then this yes. year he's, like, what, he got six points or something at yeah, even he's strength? He's pace for, like, 19 points or something. His offensive and game... A lot. His offensive game seems to have deserted him. He's still good defensively. He's still yes. he's Ish. still a useful player. I wonder if none of the UFAs come back. The only one that makes sense to me is Ben Reemsdyke, and that's going to be really complicated. You have to do a story on how they yeah, make it work. Yeah, I will when you go on the road. I'm, that's on my list. Yeah, so. it's, I don't know how you do it. I think you, uh, you could let Gardner go. Yes, well, you'd have to be at the point where you're like, okay, Travis Dermott can come in and play. So the interesting thing with did you read the story that or Borgman plays? Did you read the st- story that Scott Wheeler did? I haven't read it yet. Dermot to do list last week. It was excellent. So it was basically they're doing with Dermott with the Marlies what Babcock did with Riley in the beginning. You know, like just feed him. The he's, hardest minutes. He's getting all matchup minutes. He's not playing a lot on the power play. He's, well, and that he's getting all PK. Like they're just gonna try and turn him into a really, really good defensive player. And they're getting him to work on, this is what Scott talked about, they're getting him to work on uh, breakouts and handling the puck and zone exits and, like, playing against, you know, shutting down players. and Just, like, the unsexy stuff that good defensemen have to do. I keep hearing that the organization feels that Dermot's a top 4D in the NHL. If that's the case, then are you better... Does it make more sense to use your cap dollars on Van Riemsdyk than it does on Gardner and just replace well, Gardner. Well, the thing too is Gardner hasn't been very good this year. No. And how many how much money is Gardner going to get? He's going to be older. Yeah. People but, are going to freak out saying. Well, but the counter to this is Gardner's the way he plays would make him better suited to keep playing at the same level. You know what I mean? The the other problem it's a good is, debate is because I think that Gardner and JVR's next contracts are going to be similar sized. So so where the are your debate cap dollars is, better spent. 
the, the problem is like they've they've locked themselves into Zaitsev and Marlowe. That one's short. The other thing too is that Dermot's a lefty. Zaitsev's got six more years after this one. So we, I like Borgman. I think he looks like an NHL I player. Too, yeah. I think that he can be he can take more minutes over time. Mm-hmm. So I think if you've got Riley and Dermot is a top four guy and Borgman, maybe that makes your left side good enough. The problem is their right side's not very good. Well, so maybe Lilligren's in your top. Like, maybe so they get to a point. Like, I'm just picturing Zaitsev, Lilligren, and... Riley, Lilligren, Dermot, Zaitsev, Borgman, somebody. Carrick? Maybe. I guess the question is, is that good enough? I don't know. But the thing is, is that... The thing I I think... It's hard to know what those... Like, Lilligren's 18. Mm -hmm. Dermot's... 20, I think. Well, and and you see with like someone like Noah Hannafin, it's not uh, and yeah. Aaron Ekblad, it's not really always a steady. So climb I think what they're trying, and it's interesting they've been playing Dermot and Lilligren together sometimes because I wonder if they think that can be a second pair or a with third the Leafs sooner than that. Yeah, like so maybe I, Borgman plays higher in your lineup. I, I kind of thought based on watching Dermot and how they used him in the HL last year that he was going to maybe make the team this year. But if you think about it, it makes more sense for him to play a crap ton of minutes with the Marlies and mm-hmm. learn. Like, if he was with the, the Leafs right now, he'd only be playing, like, the 14 minutes that the third pair is getting. Mm-hmm. You might as well put Borgman's older, and you might as well put him in those minutes. I mean, there's probably not a big difference in what you're getting. It's and meanwhile, Dermot's getting... I know, but yeah. a couple years. Anyway. We didn't even talk about your Borgman story, which we should. Yeah. What was the most interesting interesting thing that you learned from that story? Because that was so interesting. And again, if you haven't read that, go check it out. It was funny because the reason I had the initial idea was that the first 8 to 10 games or whatever, Borgman's analytics were off the charts. So I started asking around, um, Do are there numbers, are there analytics for guys in Sweden? And where did he rank? And I started watching video of him playing in the Swedish Hockey League. I don't know if you've done that. And he's, he was really good at handling the puck. He would get the puck behind his net, skate through everybody, and like take a shot that would never go in in the NHL and score a goal. And so, like, his possession was... It, it's come way back down as he's played with Polak and things like that. But in the beginning, it was like... He was, like, the top Leaf player in possession. Um, yeah, it was, like, 60%, I think. Yeah, it was, like, crazy high in the beginning. So that was kind of like, okay, how does this undrafted guy out of Sweden who was playing in the second division a year and a half ago post one of the highest possession numbers. So I started... And was a rookie in the Swedish League last year. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. So then what I did is I... So I got the numbers. Um, it turned out that HV71, the team he was on, had an analytics guy. It turned out he followed me on Twitter. It turned out he gave me the analytics for Borgman and the team and whatever last year. And they were crazy good. Um, and he talked about how good he was at exiting the zone and all that the kind of stuff I could see on the video. Then what was interesting is I went and talked to Borgman... And he's like, yeah, they wouldn't let me dump the puck. They wouldn't let me, like, chip the puck out. So, And that was when he was younger. So he learned in the second division in Sweden to always skate the puck out and always take... And if you look at even how he enters his zone, he's always got the puck. So he's really good at... I just felt like the narrative on Borgman was about how he's tough and That's because of me. Sorry about he, that. No, it's just... And he likes to hit and whatever. But the, I think the actual story about Borgman is that he's actually pretty good at handling the yeah, puck. Yeah, it's more like the, the sexy stuff isn't really the story. The other stuff is. It's the stuff you never notice. Like, well, you do notice. I notice. You notice it in a game. He can make little moves and stuff. When but I went to my first off, I don't like going to those, uh, what are they called? Informal scrimmages. I remember like the first but thing the you first said. Thing, yeah. yeah. I remember I, the, I remember the first thing you said was that Borgman looks really good. Yeah. and You like, said he looks really fast and strong. And, and interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm glad 
you kind of unearthed some of the things. But it was just funny. It was like, it's like, but when you get a good story, it's like a little block on top of a little block. And then, so mm -hmm. then I started finding his coaches and I could have kept working on that story. And then I talked to uh, Oliver Ekman Larson with the Coyotes. He's like, I love that guy. And he's so unbelievable. But the bigger picture story is like how much of a difference that makes for Swedish defensemen who keep just like coming and coming to the NHL. Well, look at the numbers. Yeah. There are 29 in the NHL this season on pace to play a regular role, to play at least half the game, and there are 27 more in the AHL. Historically, the numbers are like... Well, and could you argue like the two best defensemen in the league last year, both Swedish? Carlson and, and Hedman. Hedman. Someone put the best defenseman maybe ever is... Someone put together a list of their D compared to D from Ontario, and it was... It was interesting. Ontario's obviously bigger population. and So it's like Burns, Doughty. The Ontario list was very impressive. It's crazy. Petrangelo. There's like... Oh, yeah. Subban. King City. Right. Ontario's was probably better. But it's but like a zillion more people, right? Like uh, how big Ontario's, is Ontario? I think 14 million and Sweden's 9 million, 9.8. So it's not that far off. But it just... I think what Sweden's done a really good job of is the coaching side of it is better than ours. Like, they have it figured out better. They have... It's the same thing we're talking about with Bettel. When I went to Sweden, I was like... And I was hanging out with these guys, and I was talking to them. I was like, man, these people are like... They have PhDs and stuff, and they're coaching hockey. They're, like, building training manuals for how to, like... How a defenseman should handle the puck and break out of the zone and stuff. It's like, that's not how... I mean, I don't want to, like, put down coaches here, but... Sweden's just like a more educated society than North America. Yeah. And they looked at the way to get better at hockey and they were like, let's like start teaching it in university. Let's like. Well, I think Sunai has written a, a series for the Athletic on like all the different development programs. Yeah. And hasn't it just been recently where Canada started to change kind of some of their minor hockey stuff? I think that they can see where they're falling behind. Yeah. And one of the things that. And we'll wrap on this, but like, I remember looking on Bettle's Twitter page, and one of the things, like, the quotes he retweeted was like, just because things have been done away. Yeah, that's the one at the top of his Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, that's the most dangerous thing is yes. we've always done it this way or whatever. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's, I know, I saw that. I think I saw that today or yesterday. All right. That's it. Wrap it up, James. Do it Sub yourself. Subscribe to theathletic.com. If you haven't yet, I will give you a deal. Buy Bab Socks. Go to the Babsock store, tell Jake and Tom that the Leaf Report sent you, and they will give you a discount. Maybe. You heard it right. <laughs> Thanks. Still glow. Oh, yeah. Thanks for tuning in to the Leaf Report. Follow the guys on Twitter at Jonas Siegel and at Myrtle. <laughs>